Coming up on this episode of the Green Door Podcast. We discuss whether three is indeed the magic number. We explore the predetermination versus free will showdown. Discuss how the OG bad guy we all hate to love was a bit of a loner, whilst highlighting his inability to mess things up properly. And finally, somehow, we managed to talk about the professor and snakes in pants within the same sentence. All this and more coming up right now. Ads, welcome. What brings you by the Hobbit Hole? Good evening, James. Another fine evening, I must say. The Green Dragon awaits good, sir. Well, I knew we were meeting at the Green Dragon. I didn't realise you were stopping by for the walk, but I'm certainly glad you did. Uh, I can't help but notice. You seem to have a mark on your nice green door, though. Oh, I know. Scratched at the bottom. You might say it looks ruined. Uh, yeah, no, fresh coat of green paint will cover that right up. Speaking of green doors, though, a bit of a segue? Yes, uh, you may have heard at the uh, beginning, ads intru- introduced us as the Green Door Podcast, and that is the name change um, that's officially taken place, and henceforth, you can find us on all of our platforms at the Green Door Podcast. Ads, um, what do you think about the feel of that name change? I really like it. I re- really, really do like it. It's... Um... It's a good, strong name. Uh, we've had some solid, uh, solid Facebook and Twitter interactions in the last week. And really, we wanted a name that, that would feel comfortable. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, we want it to be comfortable like a hobbit hole, and that means comfort. And uh, speaking of comfort, we're halfway to the Green Dragon, and I may have a surprise for you tonight. <laughs> Interesting. Yes, sir. Um, as, as we uh, head inside, I see, I see the gaffer in the distance there. We may want to beat that guy inside before he drinks all the ale. Definitely. Uh, I, I know we're supposed to be podcasting from uh, on location, and there's a table waiting for us, so let's uh, head inside so I can show you the surprise. After you. Come on, Eds. I got us a private room in the back so we can record with a little peace. And someone's waiting for us. Hey, guys. How you doing, May? How's it going? Hi, May. How's it going, guys? I got your drinks ready. <laughs> you guys are right on time. Excellent. Excellent. Right on time. That's perfect because uh, usually when we're podcasting, nothing runs on time. <laughs> So we're glad we didn't keep you waiting too long, May, and let us officially introduce the third member of this brand newly named podcast, the Green Door Podcast, May K. Hella. Thank you so much, Yay. guys. Thank you so much. I'm so, so excited to be here. I'm so happy to be joining into the fun. Uh, thank you so much, James. Thank you, Ads. You guys are family already, so I'm just so happy to be jumping into this adventure together. We're really happy to have you uh, on board. I think the chemistry is going to be terrific because uh, all week in the prep, and we have done a little bit for this show, a little bit, yeah. a little bit to a lot. Uh, all week in the prep, we've had a lot of fun going back and forth with ideas uh, and philosophies and questions and just sharing uh, 
well, our, our love and that, that was maybe the most fun part was seeing, you know, we, we got into sharing pictures and, and talking about our favorite parts <laughs> and where we want to live and, and uh, you know, whose food we want to eat. And it was really, I really enjoyed that with you guys this week. So I know you're going to be a great addition to the podcast, May. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much, guys. I hope I can live up to the expectations. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd like, to, I'd like to echo everything James just said. Um, I cannot wait to uh, move forward on this little adventure with the three yes, of us. Yes, let's do it. Let's do it, guys. I'm excited. It's going to be great. Uh, I'd like to mention as we come in here, uh, we walked up and beautifully uh, timed came in some just gorgeous uh, hobbity music and that gorgeous uh, hobbity music is brought to you uh, by none other than once again this week Nathan Mills at Beyond the Guitar. Nathan is really gracious uh, to let us use that as our intro. He uh, plays dozens and dozens of nerd-like covers and I'm okay I I questioned myself using that term uh, on the podcast last week ads uh, but I went, to, I was checking out his, his YouTube page and it says plays nerdy music. So I thought, yeah. I thought that's perfect. I'm, I'm just going to keep saying I think that. he's okay with it. Yeah, he's okay with it. <laughs> um, but yes, once again, he introduced us in and uh, May, I think you uh, had uh, Rosie over there at the bar, uh, keep the fire unlit uh, so we could do it ourselves uh, here at the pub. And that that's is right. a be- beautiful fireplace, guys. What do you think? Oh, it's gorgeous. Gorgeous uh, craftsmanship. Let's put it this way. Yeah, they, we, they, we don't have masons like that um, around where I live anymore. So, no. uh, yeah, that's a beautiful stone fireplace. So, Ads, why don't you do the honors and uh, okay, I've got, go ahead with that tradition. Yeah, I've got the match. Okay, here goes. And while Ads uh, lights the fire once again this week, we'd like to officially welcome everybody who's been um, coming along with us on this silly little ride where we uh, pretend to be at a different pub or a different relaxing place uh, in Middle Earth every week. And this week we've decided the Green Dragon is a nice place to introduce our new uh, podcast mate because green is the theme of the week. So welcome to the, uh, the Green Door Podcast. <laughs> I'm going to have to get used to saying that, the Green Door I Podcast. It, it, it's a, a nice name for me because not only have I always sort of imagined and envisioned actually living in a hobbit hole, but green, uh, as many of my close friends know, and as I harp on it show after show, everybody who listens will know, is by far my favorite color. I have actually uh, almost an unhealthy infatuation with the color green. I know. I think, I think that went a long way to actually choosing that, that name, didn't it? It uh, forced it over the I edge mean, I, for me. The, the, uh, yeah. the other options were beautiful. Um, and probably uh, the other one is maybe the one that you liked best is maybe stronger. I don't want to say it because I don't want to hear on Twitter how I was wrong. Um, but, but the white tree podcast is a great name. And if somebody decides they want to take that, uh, name, I wouldn't blame you because it is a good name for a podcast. Uh, but the green door podcast is what we went with. And may you think, you think it sort of suits the, uh, the sit around discussion style nature of what we're trying to do. Oh, absolutely. I that's, that's what fantasize we're going for, about anyway. living in. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I would love to have, to have a hobbit hole to hide into, you know, uh, it's kind of like one of these things. It's like uh, maybe a retirement plan. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> a trip to New Zealand, perhaps, and uh, go visit Hobbiton <laughs> for sure. But uh, yeah. yeah, for sure. So the Green Door podcast, uh, it's a winner. I love it. Perfect. It rolls. It rolls off the tongue well. It has got a lot, a lot easier to say over the last few days. And I personally think because we've started out very much with the idea of. You know, having a conversation with a roaring fire, 
in the Shire. The idea of the Green Door podcast probably fits us much better than, you know, other alternatives that we might have had. So, cracking name. Let, let's let's have another cracking show. All right. Well, we might as well start in on it. And I know you guys are looking at the show notes along with me here, and I'm going to uh, already um, call an audible. Uh, that's a, an American football term, ads. Um, and okay. I'm going to I'm going to I'm, I'm going to put a teaser here and say, May, we're going to talk about your um, snake in the pants story at the end of the show. <laughs> and if that doesn't keep people listening, I'm not sure what will. So um, that's the only reason I'm that's the only reason I'm here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I asked May, I said, uh, I put in the notes with, you know, a little introduction uh, to you, um, which we're going to do right now, and a little introduction to your, uh, how you got into Tolkien, which we're going to do at the end of the show. So May, do tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you know, where are you from, what do you like, what do you do, and, but don't tell us the uh, snake in the pants story, we'll get back to that later. Uh, yes, I'll try, to, I'll try to keep it clean for now. So... Uh, uh, just like James, I'm coming to you from Montreal. So uh, James and I are neighbors, so to speak. So uh, we live in uh, in Montreal, Canada, or the Greater Montreal area. I am I'm a mother of three, uh, three lovely children that my husband and I uh, lovingly call Balrogs, depending on uh, <laughs> their mood and the pitch of their screams uh, day in day out. So <laughs> I just want to interrupt I... you quickly and say that's a great name for kids. <laughs> I just love that you call them Balrogs, especially since kids well, don't have wings. Anyway, sorry, continue. Right. Oh, I was going to get there. You beat me to it. Oh. <laughs> well, it, it kind of hovers between. I was going to say the opposite. It kind of hovers between Balrog and ring rates. Uh, so uh, again, depending on on the the intensity of the tantrums and the pitch of the screams, so it's between the two. Um, <laughs> but lovingly, yeah, Balrogi. Balrogi is is a term that sticks. So uh, I've got three little Balrogis at home. I work. Uh, I would say work full time. And uh, when I have time, or when I find time, or make time, I also enjoy writing. So I'm cur currently writing a young adult novel, and um, it's loosely based on Norse mythology and Icelandic magic, which are two of my, hmm, how can I say, passions, I guess. Uh, so I'll be definitely coming in. Uh, discussing Tolkien from uh, that perspective, I, you know, I'll be perhaps uh, speaking um, through that lens, and um, and that's it. So I hope you guys uh, enjoy that perhaps uh, that perspective that's a little different than usual. So I, I can't wait. I, I think it's really cool when you uh, share that that sort of um, point of view. Uh, May really does uh, love all things Viking. Uh, all things Norse, and she uh, is leagues and bounds ahead of me when it comes to that mythology. So I think it'll be cool to, to, to have your, uh, your voice in on some of these topics. And if the listeners are curious about uh, May's voice on some of those topics, or mine, or ads, uh, please come and find us on Twitter at The Green Door Pod. Uh, we've also got a little Facebook group that's growing called The Green Door Podcast on Facebook. So please come play along with us there. Uh, we've had a few people join those groups recently, actually. Ads, you want to talk about that? Yeah, we have. Uh, in the last well, last few hours, really, we had uh, Rose, uh, Katie, and uh, Caitlin, who um, has been sort of ever-present all the way through on Twitter. But the three of the three of them have, have joined the Facebook group, and so, you know, welcome to them. We've also had... Uh, 
two Andys, Andy Smith and uh, Andy Preston. They've been helping us out in the Facebook group as well. And, of course, Dave Donovan. So that's Facebook. Um, on Twitter, special mentions to Caitlin again, um, to Mike and Matt from uh, at Home One Hangout. Uh, Matt especially has been brilliant because he's provided us with some fantastic artwork for Amazing, our, for our beautiful. Uh, the, to go check uh, out our Facebook uh, page for yeah. Matt, Matt's uh, Green Door uh, artwork. It's beautiful. It is really, really stunning. And then uh, special mention to Jeffrey at the Canto cast because, God, that guy is so, so good at giving positivity out. He's, he's, he's the absolute best. And I was over uh, on his show um, week before last, and we had a lot of fun. So go listen to the Canto cast uh, if you like Star Wars and or uh, laughing. So check them out. Yeah. Uh, a couple of people, while we're mentioning people uh, ads, I wanted to mention um, my wife, and your wife and May's husband, because, uh, yep. you know, <laughs> we've been putting in some time doing this. So uh, thanks, guys, for taking good care of uh, us and the kids while we waste time doing silly podcasting things. The Bullrogs. That's right. Yeah, the, in large part, the Bullrogs. <laughs> yeah. In very large part, the Bullrogs. I'd also, like to, I'd also like to say a very quick hi to my, uh, or two of my three sisters, uh, Sarah and Ruth. Becky, you need to listen. Awesome. Hey, Becky, what the heck? What the heck, Beck? Get on yeah, it. What the heck, Beck? All right. Uh, Sarah and Ruth, A star. Well, obviously, your two favorite sisters are listening. I get it. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying that. <laughs> you get me in trouble. I said, it, I said it for you. Um, yeah, well, I, I'm not agreeing. <laughs> yeah, that's dangerous waters. I kid. I tease. Ads, uh, let's talk Silmarillion. We found a. Uh, a beautiful sort of summary to entice people. Yeah. Uh, and let's get that out there. Yes. Uh, so take it away. Okay. So, uh, James, can you remember, because I haven't got the notes uh, with me, where or who, Jeff who actually is responsible? Jeff LaSala. It's actually, uh, if you've got the show notes open, I think I quoted him at the end, but it's Jeff LaSala who came up with this uh, okay. perfectly uh, yes. put um, summary of, of what we're I, about to dive into. I have them. Okay, so uh, Jeff brilliantly sums up the Silmarillion. He says, And that's the Silmarillion for you. It's all shining gems, flashing swords, whips of flame, foul dragon reek, and blood-soaked earth. It has more tragedies than victories, more sorrow than joy, but because it was written by a man of self-conscious faith, it also packs a few eucatastrophic punches. So chin up. Good readers, the body count is high, but the payoff is glorious. I love wow. this. Isn't that good? Come I on, if that it. doesn't get you excited Beautiful. to dive in, there's nothing yeah. dry about that. And there are parts of this book that uh, arguably are <laughs> a lot drier than that. Um, and that, that is just uh, a beautiful summary of how the book makes me feel in many parts. I get excited and uh, sad and nervous and uh, moved blown away by some of the things in this book. And I, so that, I think that's a nice way for us to introduce uh, chapter one. Here Indeed. we go, guys. Here we go. Okay. We're there. We're there. May. Um, yes. Chapter one. Uh, I knew Lindale. I knew Lindale. Yeah, it's, it's uh, not an easy word to say, but it's, it's made up of, of some smaller words that ads will get to in a minute. 
Um, but May is going to tee up a couple of quotes uh, or reviews uh, that sum up the chapter itself, not the Silmarillion, but the chapter itself, chapter one, Ainu Lindale, Ainu Lindale. So some responses to the uh, Ainu Lindale chapter from uh, British writer Joseph Piers. He calls it the most important part of the Silmarillion and says, the myth of creation is perhaps the most significant and most beautiful of Tolkien's works. And I have to agree so, with that. So James he didn't like adds, it. No, yeah. no, yeah. <laughs> I, I have to agree with this because I think uh, it's a work of simplicity. It's just um, clear, clean, uh, and it's beautifully done because it's executed through the use of music, which is, for a myth of creation, quite rare and exceptional. It's so beautiful. Opinion. It's such a, it's such a fun, like it's such a beautiful concept. I wish I had a word that was. Uh, that meant more. It's such a uh, an inspiring concept, and a I just love the idea that um, existence could come into being because of music. So yeah, it is uh, it is maybe um, the best of Tolkien's works. And uh, James V. Shaw said something. Uh, yeah, so we're talking about a, a James V. Shaw, who's an American Catholic priest, a teacher, writer, and philosopher. And um, to him. Uh, basically, he says that he's never read anything as beautiful as the first page of the Silmarillion. So, um, coming from a man of God, I think this is a very bold statement. Um, you know, it is. <laughs> it's quite flattering for Tolkien, for sure. <laughs> yes, obviously, you know, all uh, your mileage may vary. To quote uh, Kyle. Um, Everybody's opinion is different, but his was very high of the work. And I, I, I liked including it just because, as, like you said, as a man of God, to say, um, never read anything as beautiful, that's a, just a powerful statement, I think. It is. It is. Quite, yeah. Uh, next up, we have Scottish poet Robert Murray, uh, who says that in all literature, from the formation of the sacred books of humanity, it is very difficult to find a comparable mythological story of creation to its beauty and imaginative power. So again, wow. Yes. So many praises for this this first chapter of this. A lot. Oh, I found sure. I found some praisey quotes for sure, and and we did that because I got to be honest. Uh, coming, speaking just from my personal experience, it's tough to get into if you don't want to invest. Uh, May and I were just talking about this off the air. For a, it's not a casual read. It's, I can't see a lot of people saying, oh, I'll try this, and having an easy time with it and loving it right away. Because no. I wanted to love it, and I and read the other Lord of the Rings um, and Hobbit, uh, other Tolkien works before, and still uh, put it down for a decade because it was too dry and too difficult for me at parts. So I'm, I'm trying to pump it up to get people, uh, maybe who are just diving in for the first time or maybe for a second read, to, to, to see um, that there is light at the end of the tunnel and it's worth uh, maybe putting in what we'll call investment now. And it's also, it's, it is helpful to, to read something and then hear other people talking about it. You do, you do get a, a little bit more of an understanding. You pick up one or two things that maybe you don't pick up the first time. And, I mean, just, just myself, having only read uh, The Silmarillion once reading that chapter again uh, or listening to the audiobook again 
in preparation for tonight, I picked up little bits that I didn't didn't see last time. Um, if you just persevere, it's worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. May, very well done. See, your first job is already accomplished, and you handled it beautifully. <laughs> Excellent. Moving on, ads. You'll take the next uh, point <laughs> of business and just talk a little bit about uh, the title itself. Yeah, okay. So uh, we have uh, the Ainu and uh, the Lindale. So the, the Ainu are uh, the Ainur. Uh, they are the, the gods uh, that were created by Iluvatar that we spoke of in the last, uh, in the last podcast. And uh, the Lindalay is actually the music. So uh, it, is, it is the music of the gods, uh, the music of the Ainu. Uh, and as James has already, has already sort of stated, it, it's, it's a difficult word to, to get your get your brain around if you look at it and your tongue yeah if you look at it on the page you want to say something else and i remember when i was going through the first time and i had to break it down into into words that i could remember so i i wrote the word i uh i wrote the word linda um and then no what was it i i knew linda lay um just because i had to have it sorted in my head and once you say it a few times it fits. Um, yeah, I found it easier too once I realized it was the music of the Ainu, uh, the Ainur as plural, yeah. uh, which we'll get to right now actually. Um, in Tolkien's world, uh, a lot of the times he wants to make worlds plural in these languages. He doesn't use S, he use R, uses R. Mm. So uh, talk about that for a second. Yeah, sure. So we have uh, the Valar, uh, V-A-L-A-R. Now that is the collective uh, the individual, the singular, is Valar, uh, V-A-L-A. Um, now, they are the, the higher rank of uh, Ainur. Um, you have uh, the likes of Manwe and Ole and Ormo, etc., etc. And then you have the, the Maya, uh, which are M-A-I-A-R. That's the, that's the plural, that's the collective. Uh, and then the singular is Maya, M-A-I-A. So, again, as we touched on last time, Gandalf, for example, is a Maya. Uh, yeah, and, and I think I'm just going to go ahead and say we're going to call them gods and demigods. There's, there's, you could call some people do angels, but the concept is vague. And Maya is, is a vague term. There's all kinds of different power levels. And mm. in the in the in 2018, in the world of gaming. Um, the Maya are a concept a lot of people don't like because they don't have a specific power level. It's, it's quite varied. It is. But so I, I don't want to get into specifics of it, but just the ones that start with V, the, the Valar, are the gods, and the ones that start with M, the Mayar, are the demigods. And we'll just yes. refer to them that way to keep it simple. Yeah, okay. Good. Um, quick reminder of the key players um, from last week who we're going to be talking to in this about in this chapter so uh, we, we met Iluvatar uh, the, the father of all the, the gods um, we met or the creator I should say of all the gods we met Melkor uh, the big bad dude the OG bad guy uh, we met Ulmo uh, he's the that's U-O-L-M-O uh, U-L-M-O not the Sesame Street character don't confuse <laughs> the two uh, he's the water god. We met Manwe. He's the king of the gods, and uh, his associ association is wind and eagles. 
And we met Ule, and he is uh, Ad's particular favorite, and he's into making yeah. things like mountains and gemstones. Yes. Okay, guys, let's get right into it. We're there. I, I keep saying that, and pe- someone who's read this chapter many times and wants us to talk about it is tired of hearing me say, let's get into it. So this is for real. Why, when we read this chapter, why does Tolkien start with music? Why is it um, that instead of, uh, like, you know, other uh, mythologies, or why not, like, uh, is widely believed in science uh, with a big explosion, why wasn't the universe born of fire? Um, Why wasn't it born of violence? Uh, What is it about um, the way... Not that there wasn't violence in the music, but why do you think, what is it about the music that's so attractive an idea? Ads, uh, I'll point it to you first. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. Okay. Um, (laughs) I love the fact that the music, uh, that first first chapter, it is a very visual um, description. You you very much get the idea of uh, a group of... uh, group of singers in a choir for example you can picture it but it, it is it is at a different level than than just uh, a choir because you're talking about you know the one Iluvatar you're talking about gods um, and I think that having it as as music is beautiful you know it takes it to a completely different level than than um other creation stories yeah there's something uh that fits into the fairy tone of his of his world to have it start with music yeah and music is a very important part of the world uh in in the form of poetry and song as well so i think and i and i'm pointing that out uh, i can't take credit for it you pointed that out to me um and i think that's that's really strong a strong point um the actual creator uh the professor um, loved poetry and music, and so it's it makes sense that his world would start uh, with music. May, what's your impression of of the music at the beginning? And um, I, I may or may not edit this part out. Oh, that Gandalf lightning strike is a pretty good indication that I chose to edit that part out. Uh, just to let you in on what we did talk briefly about, um, I let them in on the secret of life, the universe, and everything. Uh, since I recently turned 42. Um, But the rest will have to remain a secret. Uh, No, Um, I did edit out a very long ramble that basically uh, explained that we are not going to try to explain the chapter uh, to people who haven't read it yet. We're going to assume anybody listening has read it or uh, doesn't mind being uh, quote-unquote spoiled about it because that's how we'll dive into every chapter talking about it, like a book club. So, um, yeah, May, what do, you, what do you think about the music? Why music? And, and what do you like about it or, or not like about it? Um, the, the creation through music. For me, um, presenting creation or the, the origin of life uh, through music, I think, is brilliant because it's never been done. Or if it has been, I'm not aware of. <laughs> but uh, in the sense that from a um, mythological standpoint, um, you get a lot of let's say extreme, so you get fire and ice, yield something, and then the world begins. So in this case, you go from void to music to creation. And 
the way I picture it is that what is music really? So music is a way of expressing math, right? Because uh, every note uh, has a certain wavelength, let's say, and can be defined like within like an equation or whatnot, you know? So coming at it from like a scientific point of view, like I, there is, uh, you have the um, artistic side of science, which is like, let's say music and the visual arts and whatnot. And then you have the underlying or the underbelly, which is pure science, you know? So for me, for me, music makes sense uh, as as uh, as the source of creation because it's the artistic expression of science. Yeah, so, I, I uh, you you put it in an email to me earlier last week. You said uh, you know music is math, so it makes sense to me that that um, as a creation myth, there's there's sub substance there, and right. I really like that. Music music is math. Yeah. I mean, just, I, I like just, I like, I like the, that way of thinking. Let's just take a look at what Nas has been doing. You know, so I mean they. They, they listen to, what do they do? You know, they point their telescope somewhere, uh, their, their uh, radars, and they, they basically listen to the void. You know, they, they listen for sounds, for patterns and whatnot. So for me, it just makes sense that this all-father uh, uses music to create. Yeah, uh, and there's, there is something, like you said, too, about, it, about the creation of a world that's, not, uh, that's gradual. They ease, they ease into it. There's a void, then there's music, then there's a vision. Then there's then there's life and then there's uh, you know existence and it's not it doesn't explode it doesn't burn it doesn't uh, there's something something very um, nice about that and it makes sense to a world that has a eucatastrophic nature <laughs> eucatastrophic that is a tough word um, eucatastrophe being such a big part of his world eucatastrophic eucatastrophic anyways um but being a big part of his world it makes sense that the world was born of, of a good place doesn't it yeah it does and i think it, you know the works of tolkien the legendarium there is so much music throughout and i think it's just beautiful that um that all starts from its actual creation you know the the songs that the dwarves sing, the the songs that the elves sing, the importance of music, and actually there is an even higher purpose of music because it formed the creation of of you know the world. Love it. Yes. Very All right. Nice. Well, let's get more yeah. into the music. Let's talk about the idea that in this, uh, you know, as you read through the chapter, uh, Luvatar um, has his his pupils, uh, all of them, the demigods and the gods making this music. And uh, it, it's broken down into three verses. It's broken down into three verses because Melkor, the meddler, um, you know, tries to corrupt things. But why three? What is it about this? You know, is, is that important? I'm sure it is. I'm, I don't think Tolkien did anything uh, haphazardly. So why three themes? What's the connection? Uh, there are things f that are easy to point at. I'll, I'll lay out some examples, May, before I toss it to you. Um, there were, you know, three ages of Middle-earth, uh, the first, second, and third age before um, men took over. And the song itself um, only really comes up to the beginning of, of uh, men's time. That's where the vision ends. So is that, you know, is there the association? Should we look at it that way? Or is it more um, about th there were three races in Middle-earth? Um, there are three stages in life, childhood, adolescence, adulthood. Um, you know why three? What do you, what do you think? What are your what, what did you, what did you associate with it? 
Well, for me, uh, as a writer, I think uh, Tolkien using the three-beat structure made total sense. So um, you have uh, you have a sequence of events basically that repeats itself um, in, in a triad, and at the end of the three-beat sequence, then you have a resolution. So this is pretty much what happens between Iluvatar and Melkor. So you have, well this is my music, wait, my music is better. No, wait, mine is, mine is. And then by the third time, you kind of get the end of the music and then you move on to the next scene. Uh, that's mm -hmm. just like from a structural perspective, but perhaps when we look a little deeper or maybe uh, into the artistry of this three-beat structure, then we think about um, music itself, like in terms of, of being a three-beat um, song, let's say, or composition. And then we can think about, let's say, it could... Um, be reminiscent of a waltz or something so it kind of gives also mm -hmm. like an idea of the the tempo of this creation as it goes so um yeah that's that pretty much sums it up um, ads, ads. Uh, you, yeah. you, agree, you agree with any of that or want to add to anything there yeah, I, I agree with it all uh, i would like to add something yeah me too though um and this was something i thought of just today so i don't even think i've mentioned this to the two of you but um if you take the first chapter of the lord of the rings uh, Bilbo, 11-1, but Frodo was turning 33. Now, 33 is a massive age. You know, it's the coming of age for a hobbit. And it, it dawned on me again, you know, 33, the threes, all the threes. It, it is an important um, aspect that goes all the way through the Legendarium. Yeah, that's, that's a nice link. I like that. That's a deep cut, Ads. Yeah, I um, thought so. Uh, someone pointed out in the uh, Tolkien Society Facebook group today that he has a real affinity for odd numbers in general. Um, the three, the seven, the nine. Uh, yeah. You know, three sil Silmarils. Uh, he, he, he has, it, it seems, seemingly, or just coincidentally, that he had a, an affinity for odd numbers. Um, That's very true. Exactly I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, someone pointed it out. I, I thought that was a neat observation that I had never really observed before. And it's so that could be, you know, part <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's I was going to say it's glaringly, it, yeah, right? it's glaringly obvious when you say it like that, isn't it? But um, I hadn't considered it. Yeah, me, uh, I thought that was an, an interesting observation as well. Um, yeah, I like, I like. Uh, we'll talk about the the interruptions too. Um, so we we debated this a little bit. I don't believe that Melkor, uh, excuse me, that um, Iluvatar. I don't believe that he's actually. Any of the things he pretends to, in my perspective, pretends to be when, when Melkor does what he does. From my point of view, mm. um, he, he must have expected Melkor to do those things. He, he knows Melkor's heart. He knows Melkor spent time in the void. He knows Melkor's innermost desires. He created him to be envious and lustful. Um, and so he could have only expected, being a, 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 a omniscient, he could have only expected Melkor to do that. And so... I point to things in that verse where um, Melkor is, is interrupting the music. I point to things in the language, and something stood out to me today uh, that I thought was interesting. It says, <clears throat> Then again, Iluvatar arose, and the Ainur perceived that his countenance was stern. Perceived that his countenance was stern. He could have easily written, Then again, Iluvatar arose and was angry. But no, uh, it's their perception. And I think this is done on purpose. I think he's trying to elicit uh, a specific yeah. reaction from Melkor. Uh, to me, that's, that's uh, him 
playing uh, Melkor. Him intentionally, uh, Iluvatar, intentionally uh, trying to get reactions out of um, Melkor. He knows that by the first time the interruption happens, by smiling, um, pretending like, you know, oh, cute, cute little you, that's going to make him mad. And yeah, he's going to try yeah. harder to corrupt yeah. things. And worse than, than, than like belittling um, a contemptuous child is confronting him head on. If, you've, if you know um, oppositional kids, uh, <laughs> to, 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 to confront them head on only fires them up further. And that's exactly the, sort of the sequence he, he, he goes through. He builds Melkor up, pumps him up and pumps him up until he basically sets him up uh, to, to do exactly what he does. So I think the way I look at it is the Ainur are his instruments and he knows exactly how to play them. Yeah. And feigning um, all of those emotions, uh, anger, you know, I'm angry or, you know, uh, I'm belittling you, whatever, whatever it is, however you want to read it. For me, that's an act. But I don't think you guys totally agree with that. Well, what was your take? The way I see the way I see the role of Iluvatar is that he has created these gods and they have come from individual parts of his uh, brain, I guess, you know, the mind of Iluvatar. But at the start, they are very they are very singular and they only they learn to become one, don't they? But there would have been a part of Iluvatar's thinking that is is Melkor. And and so I do believe that Melkor is a deliberate um, part of the creation as far as Iluvatar's concerned. Um, are we getting on? I can't, you know, that's a strong point, Ads. I'll, I'll just say that he did create all these things of himself. And if I think that way, um, then, then maybe part of Iluvatar could get angry as a reaction. But see, I, I, I don't know. I just, for some reason, I have, I have a problem with an all-powerful, all-knowing God getting angry at something that everybody could have expected. I don't, that, that's the part for me that makes me say he couldn't have really been angry. That doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah, there's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because it's the whole... It's, it's, it's the argument of, um, is this fated from, from the word go? Or is there a predetermination? Uh, 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 uh. I highlighted something for that too. Very important today. Where he says, um, if they will. Three very important words, and I wish I could find exactly where it is. But he, and, and May, we're going to get you to jump in here on this, because we're not disagreeing, but we don't totally agree, and I'd like to know what you think. But it says, uh, he basically gives, lets the, the, uh, the Ainur create through music if they will. Yeah. And those three words to me um, are, are going to be my, like, get out of jail card every time we get into a everything's faded debate. Because I believe that the uh, Ainur and all of the races of Middle-earth did have free will. There may have been a guiding force uh, affecting things favorably. Uh, there's eucatastrophe all over the place. <laughs> but um, I believe uh, that there was free will in this. I think we're getting a bit too far ahead of ourselves. We'll get back to free will. I want to know what May thinks about Melkor's uh, influence on Iluvatar. Did he really piss him off? Did he really fire him up? Or was, was uh, Daddy uh, knowing how to get what he wanted out of his son? Okay. Uh, kind of thing. I'm going to cause a riot here because I'm going to say that in this chapter, 
the most interesting character is actually Melkor. Well, that's and not a riot. I'm gonna t- I, could, I, I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that. <laughs> yeah, but he's a bad guy, you know? But they're um, all often actually, the most interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm rooting for Melkor in this chapter because he's the lone wolf. He's the black sheep. He's the one who kind of, like, takes his free will a step further than his his siblings. You know what I mean? He's kind of like the avant-garde uh, of the Ainur at this point. Um, I'm just going to say this. Uh, this is a little quote from uh, a writer called Ursula Le Guin, and she basically says that to light a candle is to cast a shadow. So by creating uh, the Ainur, Iluvatar lit a candle. So we're, he, we're talking about the flame imperishable. We're talking about, you know, the spark of life, the spark of consciousness, you know. And by doing that, by lighting this candle, automatically there is a shadow that's cast. And as in all good uh, stories or, or myths, you have to have a balance between good and evil. So, um, you know, I'm thinking here Jedi and the Sith might hmm. sound familiar to you guys. Uh, you know, yeah, a little. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking like Brahma and Vishnu, you know, and like the... Uh, the the the, um, the the Hindu tradition. So you need if you're gonna have a creative force, you need to have a destructive force, and and you need to have them interlinked tightly, so that you can have balance, right? So for me, Melkor uh, Iluvatar created Melkor willfully, in the sense that he was a necessity. This, I, I want to agree with you. I'm sh- I wish you could see how hard I'm shaking my head. <laughs> uh, nodding my head, I should say. Nodding along. Um, I to- no, I totally agree with you. I think that that's such a strong point. Evil is necessary. Um, or the, or his tra- I wouldn't call it evil yet, although he, he is that. But his, his uh, part is necessary to create a world that is deeper in beauty and greater in... Uh, over- has an overall um, more greatness because of him. And he has that effect on the world. He's necessary in the world. I, I just, yes, 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 yes to everything you're saying. Please continue saying more awesome stuff. <laughs> um, let, me, let me just organize my thoughts here. Um, uh, well, since I cut you off, uh, I'll let you find your place. Uh, and while you do that, I found mine. It says yeah. about the music, And since I have kindled you with the flame imperishable, ye shall show forth your powers in adorning this theme each with his own thoughts and devices, if he will. If he will. Nobody is forced to take part. Um, and, but if you do p- take part, you will be bound up in it. He talks a little bit later on about um, whether or not their powers were bound up uh, in the music and in the theme um, because uh, it was innately so or just because they loved it so much. That's another, th- another thing that's brought up uh, later in the book. They, they were just so infatuated with this theme and music, even Melkor, infatuated with, with the ideas of creation and this world and vision they had seen, um, that most of them willingly did take part. But that's the key point, uh, uh, willingly, for me. Yeah, um, did I let you find your place? May, did you want to keep, uh, keep going on that thought? Um, I think now we're talking about something a little bit different, though. So now we're, we've, we've kind of like established the fact that Melkor is like the antagonist to Iluvatar and uh, we've we've gone we moved on to the second beat which is like Iluvatar's gift of sight 
uh, to the Ainur. So now Iluvatar has shown the Ainur what their their theme or their song has created in the void, right? So he grants them a vision of Arda, let's say, um, which he promptly removes afterwards, right? So the, the, the Ainur uh, see what they have, their song has created, uh, are enamored with this vision of beauty and wonder, and then uh, Iluvatar removes it and says, "Well, you want that? Then you gotta work for it," kind of thing, you know. And and hence the the gift of creation of free will to create, right? Are you, right. Are, are and I good? like that point too. Uh, adds adds uh, wisely pointed out that it's a blueprint and not a guarantee. It was right. like here, yeah. here's what you could do. If, yeah. if you work hard and get it right, here's what is possible. Um, but uh, you could fail. And that, you know, again, l- lends to the free will argument as well. Yeah, it does. I mean, my, my view of Iluvatar is that he's almost like, um, he's almost like a puppet master. He's pulling all the strings. Um, but there's, there's a sort of a free will but with a sort of safety net. Um, he's almost like a guardian. So he allows he allows the individual to to play the role they need to play, but it's ultimately at Aluvatar's control. I agree I with I that. Agree with I, that. I, May, I, I you do. do. Yeah, yeah, I don't I know do. if I do. I do agree with that. Yeah. I I would say um, that I think he, for me it's more he put into place um, the parts to a machine that he knew could only really uh, go in one direction, and he had. He, he had faith in the fact that he knew uh, the hearts of all of the Ainur, and I don't think there was anything that he created that could throw off. In fact, he says it. Um, nobody, no one of you uh, has the power to undo the things that I'm, that I'm doing. That anything you try to do to, to, to reshape what I'm doing is just going to create more beauty that I already knew about um, despite your, your efforts. You know? so, so, ja- but he- so James, then in that, in yes. that argument... It's very, it's very easy to take aside just an automatic assumption that a Louvatar is, is good. But, but, actually, but actually a Louvatar arguably isn't good because a Louvatar, in your argument, knows what is about to happen and actually pushes, pushes the right buttons to allow that to happen. I love that. I love that, Ads. I love that. I mean, he's respons—he's responsible for for Melkor. He's responsible for Melkor's actions. He he's wants Melkor because for- he he knew that without Melkor, if he had created all of the other Ainur and let them sing and let them do everything, there wouldn't be uh, the examples of snow and frozen rivers and because because Melkor is responsible for extreme heat and extreme cold. But he knew that great acts of hero- heroism are brought out by the most trying times. Mm. And so for, for these amazing feats of bravery and beauty and all these epic things that come later in the story, there needs to be ultimate peril created from, by a, a force of darkness. And so for the beauty to exist, for us to be so enveloped in a story that's so rich, for me, he needs Melkor to stir the pot or he doesn't get uh, nearly as flavorful a soup. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's uh, there's a part of the chapter, isn't there, where um, uh, Olmo realizes how beautiful, you know, falling rain is, etc. Uh, right. The, he says, "Oh, the, look, you know, the, the, yeah, he um, the thunderstorm." But he says, yeah. "Look, he, um, 
what, what, uh, Melkor's screwing with everything. Look, look what he's doing. And, and, uh, but there's, Lubitar says, there's no, beauty no, no. in that. There is real beauty yeah, in that. Yeah, look what he's doing. Yeah. Look what he's doing that he didn't see. He created, you know, n- now that he's raged up, uh, these storms, now you're closer to, to, the, to your brother who you love. And now there's rain falling. And listen to the beauty, beautiful sound of that. And, you know, snow falls in the winter because he created extreme cold. Yeah. Um, May, got... you, you also... Sorry, sorry, Ads, but no, I, no, no, I, I no, want no. May to chirp in here because um, she's smarter than us. So, uh, <laughs> May... <laughs> I'm not arguing with that. What, but what, was, what is your perspective on that? Like, do you think uh, that it's more Puppet Master where Luvatar... Um, after he lets them go with the blueprint, do you think he's pulling strings or do you think he pushed them out there and says, I, I'm pretty confident. I know what's going to happen and let's see. So when I read this passage for me, um, there was like a, a parallel right away that formed in my mind between, um, the Volspa saga and uh, and Tolkien's work. So uh, just to give you a bit of background here, so we're, we're going to dig into uh, the poetic Edda, which uh, Tolkien was very familiar with. And we're going to look at a poem that's uh, that describes the beginning of time and the end of time. And it's actually a conversation between a, uh, a vulva, which is a, a witch or a seeress, talking to Odin. Odin is, in this case, who Iluvatar would be. So Odin is the All-Father. And the CRS basically shows Odin a vision of what the end of the world will be like. Okay, so she shows him Ragnarok. Um, now, without going into further detail, we're just gonna, we're, I'm just going to say that Odin spends every moment of his life trying to forestall or to... Um, avoid this um, this ends this this end basically. So, uh, without looking at the end of the world here in this chapter, uh, we're looking at an end result of something. So, so Iluvatar is showing uh, the Ainur what Arda could look like, could look like, right? Or what right. it yeah. does look like once it's finished. So right there, he plants the seed of what the end goal is or should be, and he knows that his uh, his we'll call them offspring or <laughs> we'll call them uh, the well the Ainur. He knows that through uh, their free will, through their desire or their love of their vision, that they're going to try as hard as they can to reach that goal. And they probably will, you know, because they are part of him. So they each contain a fragment or a, a section of, of himself embedded yes. within themselves. And then... Thank you. So That's it's exa- I, did, I hadn't thought of it that way, mm. but he, you know what? He has faith in himself. That's what it is. Well, he doesn't... I, for me, he has faith in himself, and they, they are, embody him as a whole. And he doesn't think... That they can fail because yeah, I love that. That's really well put, man. So it's his it's, it's his mind action. It's it's the way I see it. It's kind of like the sum and the parts, you know. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like no, no. They you are, know where we're going, eh? It's like <laughs> it's almost like there's a a father and a son and a holy. No, sorry, continue. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, I still like to think that Iluvatar. Um, uh, sorry, I like to think that the Ainur create but every creation they 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 do everything that they that comes out of their free will 
can all be traced back to Iluvatar because they are part of him. You know what I mean? And he he mm-hmm. put himself into them. You know, so um, it doesn't matter what Melkor seeks to destroy or what he wants to create or how he wants to do it because. No matter what, no matter what he comes up with as a creation, whatever Mel- Melkor creates, it in the end, it's truly just Iluvatar's creation. You know what I mean? Like yes, never. I, I completely agree with you. Never will Melkor be able to completely sever the bond with Iluvatar and just say, "Well, no, this is mine." No, it's not. It's it's yours, but through him. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. agree with this. Ads. I don't know if you. No, I do. This point of view. Yeah, no, I do agree. I do agree. I think that was wonderfully put. Uh, and I'm, and I'm it actually makes both James. of us right, Ads. It makes both of us right because, you know, is he pulling the strings because they're, you know, because they're him? Then yes. But is he, not, you know, not pulling the strings because they have, they have free will to, to be him and accomplish things through through him? You know, it, it's sort of uh, semantics at a point. But I, I really like the way you put that, uh, May, that um, Melkor can't really create anything of his own because um he is a luvatar in part at least i I think that's uh important actually yeah i think that's really good uh guys we're keeping somewhat of a pace there's no chance by the way we're going to keep i'm I'm telling you guys and the listeners uh we're going to keep it to an hour like we, we said our target would be for most shows but that's okay new launch for the green door podcast new podcast member and a really um, dense first chapter. So let's keep plugging along. Indeed. Let's go for it. Um, did you want to continue, um, May? Uh, I, I liked hearing, and I know a little bit about Odin, um, and I've heard the title of Ragnarok because of a recent movie. Yeah. So the, I, but honestly, I haven't seen the <laughs> yeah, movie, well, and I didn't know that that was a concept guys, um, for the end of, of uh, Norse creation. Can I, but is there anything else that, that we need to know? Can I just ask one uh, thing? Where, where, does, yeah. the Hulk, yeah, where does the Hulk come into, come into this? <laughs> when is the what? Sorry. When when does the Hulk come in? The Hulk, yeah, um, yeah. Newsflash, guys. <laughs> is that, is that he not, wasn't is, in is it. Is that not real? <laughs> yeah, no. Marvel just, uh, I don't know. They just put their own spin on it, and it's just, yeah, no, no. <laughs> Sorry. No. <laughs> Uh, if I can just say one more thing that, that uh, again, a parallel between Tolkien and Norse mythology is that at the end of Ragnarok, when basically the world goes to hell, literally, uh, there is a rebirth. So I think that Tolkien also has this uh, by the end, uh, or is it the fourth age or something? There is kind of, of the end of a cycle and the birth of a new one. So this is also something that's interesting. Yes, he does. There is. We should we should point out uh, that if you caught this, because it passes really quickly, and if you've only read this chapter once, maybe or twice, you may have missed. But he does say um, that it's the greatest. This this um, music is the greatest music that they've ever created. Uh, but it says also that uh, though it has been said that a greater music uh, that a greater still shall be made before Luvatar by the choirs of the Ainur and the children of Luvatar. After the end of days. So um, he gives them all partial sight. He gives them all sort of like uh, a glimpse of the blueprint. He, he, he shows it to them and takes it away. But it says in the chapter that after it all plays out, after this, these three ages play out, um, he is going to reveal his theme, his music, to everybody clearly so that everybody will see it as a whole. And to me, I took that as um, that's when... Um, they'll have paradise. That's when they'll have uh, 
a splendor beyond what Arda ever was. Um, they'll have the, the, the veil will be lifted, the glass curtain, uh, if you will, adds. That's the afterlife, um, isn't it? Yeah, uh, that, to me, that's, that's what that, that represented. Maybe you guys took it a different way. Can you go to, can you go to May? I'm, I need to get my head around it. Oh yep, my God. Sorry. What, what, what was your adds, impression adds, I have, on that? I have no... Because uh, no I'm, agree- I'm basically <laughs> agreeing with you, James. I'm going to just agree. <laughs> oh, perfect. Well, that, that moves us ahead more in the show. I'm right, again. I'll put in a check mark sound and we'll yeah. move on. Or a good. Perfect. Um, okay, let's talk about Manway next then. Um, Manway, who uh, in the music, when the discord uh, arises, it says uh, Manway is the chief to rival it. Uh, he steps up. He's the hero, I guess. And my question that sort of sprung up to me when I read it most recently, is this when he identifies himself as the king? Like right off the bat, when he um, hears Melkor's music, many of the Ainur... Uh, stop singing entirely. It just throws them off their game. Mm. But he he um, comes up with a theme to challenge uh, the discord. Is that his uh, his stepping up as like the leader? What do you what do you think, May? Uh, as a leader, uh, perhaps. I mean, he is referred to as being the noblest of the the Ainur. So perhaps he's got king material in him. Um, yeah, and not not just the noblest, but he is the king of the Ainur. Um, it's denoted that that he and, and and he's uh, he's also remember he is he is Melkor's brother. I mean he's Melkor's twin. So if we apply the argument that there is uh, the yin to the yang, the you know the good to the bad, if anyone is going to step up at that point and oppose Melkor, uh, yes. it's going to be Manway. And while we were saying that it's it's um, Iluvatar's uh, gods and demigods embody him. Uh, it's noted in the text that Manway's, uh, Manway was most close to Iluvatar in thought. His mind was most like Iluvatar's. Mm. So I guess um, one of his strongest uh, personality traits must have been nobility, the creator. Um, because if, his, if uh, Manway was most like his father in thought or understood his mind best, that tells me that overall he wasn't uh, a bad dude, Iluvatar. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, yeah. it does make sense. It yeah, does. definitely, definitely. Um, but I think it was important that Manway did stand up there because, again, that's a that's a, sh- a sort of a foreshadowing of what then happens throughout the Silmarillion. Um, you you needed that that first that that first theme to to be a bit of a rap battle between Melkor and Manway. Um, uh, I agree with that. I think uh, I think if you're looking at it, and we said Dave Donovan before, and and I want to point out that Dave. Um, does not like Beyonce. So I wanted to make sure that I said Dave Donovan and Beyonce in the same <laughs> sentence um, to, to acknowledge his dislike for her. That's all. Yes. Um, so there you go, Dave. I pointed out that Dave Donovan does not like Beyonce. But uh, we used um, modern music in last week's episode, and you're right. I think if you're using that modern analogy, it's a rap battle uh, it, it, that arises in the music, or it's a battle of the bands if you're into rock, but it's, it's a direct challenge to uh, Melkor's... Mm, I don't, I, I, if, when I imagine it, I hear all the Ainur playing like lovely classical music, and then like Melkor busting in with like electric guitar. Like it's just so completely dis- disruptive, whatever sounds it is he's making. Maybe, maybe he's got cymbals, I don't know, but it's like really disruptive. <laughs> Actually, and, uh, you have a good point, James, because when you just look at the language, the way that Tolkien like, will, will describe the music, right? Because we can't hear this music. We can only be told about it 
that's in, right. in the way he writes, you know. And uh, for example, like Melkor's music is going to be uh, described as being violently loud. You know, it's going to be redundant, you know, uh, it has little harmony. It, it's 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 like an aggression, you know, and um, symbols crashing, yeah. you know, and I, I what I what I really like about this passage, how he describes Melkor's music. It just sounds so primitive. It's like just put a kid with a bunch of like pots and pans and just, you know, that's it. That's his music, you know. So uh, and, and for me, I, I can't help but draw like a parallel with The Hobbit. So. Let's go, let's go under the Misty Mountains for a second, you know? And when uh, Bilbo and the dwarves enter the, the goblin tunnels, you know? And, and the goblins are there and, and they're singing songs, you know? Their songs are not melodious. They're not pretty, mm -hmm. you know? They're just, they're mechanical, you know? It, it, it almost sounds like it's like a hammer hitting an anvil. Like, that, that's what it is, you know? So this is... I don't know, it's reminiscent, I guess, of, of Melkor's music, you know, and in a way it totally makes sense because this is where, like, this is the influence that, that the goblins come from, you know, yeah. so they, they, they kind of come in through this vein. So I think it's beautifully done and consistent throughout, you know. No, great I, point, I, I think mate. that is great. I mean, what I would add to that is that um, the analogy of, of a child, you know, hitting, hitting pots and pans, uh, Melkor... Yeah. He wants to be heard. He he wants to have a solo. He wants to be uh, someone that stands out. Um, and uh, I I think you're right. And something that um, we talked about. He doesn't want to stand out because he wants to impress and entertain his brethren. No. He wants to stand out for glory. And there's a difference. I think if he was trying to stand out, uh, like you're saying, ads. Because, you know, let me put on a show because I love my brothers and sisters. That would be okay, even if he was equally disruptive. But, he, but it's yeah. the point, like you're saying, that he wants to uh, shine and have glory of his own and create his own thing unto himself, yeah, right? Yeah, he does. I mean, it's, it's not like they're singing a lovely song and Melkor shows off by singing it just that little bit louder and that little bit sweeter. He, right. he comes along, as you said, with an electric guitar or, or cymbals. He, he is making himself heard in almost like a childlike tantrum. You guys are, are really um, fun to have on the show because you're making, you, all these ideas popped in my head and I can't write down the notes fast enough, but May, welcome aboard. You made me see something that I've never seen before in the text and it's going to be, like maybe you guys saw it and it's blatantly obvious, but it will be to you after I say it. But Melkor wants to create, right? Yeah. yeah. That's, his, that's his thing. He goes under the void and tries to do it super early. Yeah. And Iluvatar is training them to be creators. And... Like you said, May, Melkor's um, music is very um, primitive because he's a young creator. He has no experience as a creator. And Iluvatar's main goal is to have them do this great music um, sometime after these three, or f three ages because he wants to train them to be creators. They need to practice creating because they don't have any experience at it. And so Melkor's music at this time, his creation skills, our symbols crashing together are very primitive compared to Iluvatar's, who's an experienced creator, who has a whole symphony. Yeah, um, that's, that's his, brilliant. His, uh, I'm right. going to take this a step further. I'm going to say that Iluvatar creates out of pleasure and out of love uh, for beautiful things, perhaps, and that Melkor creates not for the sake of creating something pretty or nice. He creates... Um, for the sake of creation, but for the sake of owning 
what he creates, you know? So, uh, I don't know, mm. for me, in my mind, I just have, like, this idea of, like, um, I don't know, Melkor, like, having some kind of factory and just, like, you know, churning out, like, the goods, you know? And he doesn't do any quality control on the goods, like, as long as it's piling up, you know? And he's just, like, building a hoard of treasure or whatever, you know? So, for me, it's not about quality. Uh, it's not about aesthetism. Is that a word? <laughs> <laughs> it's not about sure. how aesthetic the, the music sounds, but it's really just about churning out noise or, in this case, you know, uh, uh, notes, musical notes, you know, so. Um, and that's, yeah, I think, yeah, you're, you're, and that's what makes his creations primitive. Um, and, and I think Iluvatar wants them to learn, Melkor and, and all of them, um, that there's more to it than just their narrow point of view. And if they learn to create together, they can make something obviously, you know, much bigger than themselves. And I don't know if Melkor ever actually learns that lesson. I'm not sure he ever does, but, but, but the other ones certainly do, right? Yeah, they do, yeah. May, guys, that was really fun. We're, uh, we're plowing through here, and, and I think we've hit on most of the points in the bulletin. Is there anything I've skipped over that you said to yourself, oh, geez, I wish I'd mentioned this? Can I, yeah, can I say something? Um, it, it is Go going for it. Back, it is going back a little bit. Um, but That's okay, we got time. Yeah, I did want to mention, when we talk about prede predetermination and, and versus free will, um, yes. I'd love to compare that to Tolkien's view of uh, allegory versus applicability. Oh, I'm glad we went back then. Good. I'd like to take this opportunity to insert a couple of definitions. May? Applicability is defined as being the quality of being relevant or appropriate. And the allegory is um, a story, a poem, or a picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically a moral or political one. Often in stories, uh, a moral. And uh, Tolkien, uh, as Ads was pointing out, uh, preferred to think of his work as ap applicable as opposed to allegory. And did you want to continue with that thought, comparing that uh, as to uh, predetermination versus free will? Yeah, definitely. So allegory versus applicability. Um, now, I'd like to suggest that one resides in the freedom of the reader. So that's the Ainur. Uh, and the other in the purported domination of the author, which is Iluvatar. Now, um, Tolkien's dislike of allegory, um, you could say, is highlighted in his life's work, um, in his creation story. So, in in the uh, Ainulindale, the Ainur have the free will to create in the same way that Tolkien wishes his readers to apply the applicability, uh, which is unique to the thought and experience of the individual themselves. Now, in that, in that thought, with that mindset, you could argue that Tolkien is actually a Luvatar, that the, the Ainu, the Ainur, uh, are you, you know, me, us, um, and it's the readers who sub-create in our own imaginations the world that Tolkien has envisioned. I yes. just love that, yes, Ads. I, love I couldn't that. I couldn't wait for you to say it um, on air because when you texted it to me, um, I, I had a little uh, heart palpitation and thought mm -hmm. uh, you you you've really um, you've really got onto something there. I just like thinking about it that way. It's exciting and fun, and it's not allegory for me. It's applicable, 
yeah. uh, to me. And I really well said. Uh, it's a great thought, eh, May? Yeah, I love it. Absolutely. It's it's 100%, uh, you know, um, what I think, you know, because it, it's a it's a question of perspective as well. You know, as a reader, you are experiencing this uh, in your own personal way. So the applicability uh, is there. And, right, um, exactly. Yeah, know? yeah. So I think I think uh, death to the author, um, death of the author. What, there's a French translation in, in, in English, Le Mort d'Arthur, d'Autar. Sorry, Le Mort d'Arthur is something else. But there's a book called uh, Le Mort d'Autar, which which talks about the idea that each reader's experience is more, uh, is at least as valuable, maybe more so than the author's intentions. And mm-hmm. I buy into that, I think. Yeah, because, I mean, I know we discussed this, James, didn't we? But that no two people experience Tolkien in, in exactly the same way. So we've, no. all got, we've all got our own individual imaginations. You, you have your imagination of what Bag End looks like. Now, we have, in recent years, had things like, you know, the films uh, that have, have tried to impose a appearance on <laughs> our on our own imaginations but i don't know ah, about that's you our guys. imagination's fault but but yeah, you, that, it, that, that it was is, spoken like a 40 year old by the way <laughs> you said in recent years and it's like it's like 18 years ago yeah but true but <laughs> for, for me the fact that peter jackson's come along and produces fantastic vision it still doesn't in any way dampen my own imagination, which is always going to be the strongest influence on how I view... Same. You know, back, back end, how I view Gandalf, how, how, how Bilbo Same. looks. Yeah. It's so. affected some things slightly, but my overall... Uh, what they look like in my head is, is not dominated by the movies, which I thought, was, I thought would be more... Rare, but maybe that's that's everybody's imagination is a little bit stronger if they were introduced to the books first. I'm not sure. May, what what about you? When you saw the movies, did did those images and actors' faces and and sets um, override what you'd created for yourself, or, or or meld with it, or or what happened for you? Well, well, this ties into uh, to the snake story, but <laughs> oh, perfect! Um. <laughs> that, that that's a segue and a half. So let's do both. <laughs> So, uh, all right. So, if you guys don't mind me rambling a little bit, uh, I'll walk Ramble into on. it. Ramble uh, on. You know, I really wish that I had some kind of uh, childhood memory of being introduced to Tolkien, you know, or some kind of like school assignment or I don't know what. But uh, I went to school in French for primary and secondary school, so Tolkien didn't make the cut. But um, I was always like a huge fantasy fan. I mean, I used to play Dungeons and Dragons with my cousin. We used to like craft these mock-ups, you know, like paint these little figurines and kind of like go away at it, you know. Uh, And growing up in the 80s, you guys have to say this. You have to, I don't know, maybe you don't agree, but uh, I'll say that uh, the best fantasy movies were made in the 80s. Like, I grew up on Labyrinth. The NeverEnding Story. NeverEnding Story. I grew up on Classics. Labyrinth. I grew up on Willow. You Willow. Know, Goonies. Yes, Willow. Willow. I loved it so much. And I'm proud to say that my first celebrity crush was Mad Bardigan. Okay? Just getting it out there. <laughs> Love you, Val Kilmer. <laughs> uh, Ads, make sure we follow him on Twitter, okay? Yeah, okay. I'll do my best. I'll do my best. <laughs> Uh, what else? 
Um, so yeah, so so Tol- I, I had no idea about anything Tolkien until the year was 2001. My sister and I um, went uh, to Australia and we were backpacking around. And somewhere in northern Queensland, we ended up on a reptile farm. And um, uh, <laughs> being the naive person that I can be sometimes, <laughs> Uh, the park ranger was asking for volunteer, actually two volunteers. And I figured, oh, you know, what's a bit of fun, you know, raised my hand, went up to the front and I came to stand next to this guy who was also a volunteer. And the park ranger produced a, a box, which he opened and he pulled out a snake. And, ugh, you know, I just started feeling queasy. I'm like, oh, <laughs> what did I sign up for, you know? And, uh, but that wasn't the worst of it. The worst of it is that he took the snake and actually, like, put it down the guy's pants. <laughs> so The other volunteer. So now I understood what I had volunteered for. And, uh, you know, I just looked at my sister and I was, like, pleading with her. I'm like, do something, cat. You know, like, I, what? what? <laughs> so. Uh, no, help from, no help from your sister, right? Well, you know, she being the good, considerate, kind-hearted sister that she is, she was she did it. some she did something. She so, yeah, she she picked up our camera and she started snapping away. So that was her contribution. Perfect. Um, anyway, so the snake was retrieved and everything was fine and I just wanted to die right there. But anyways, uh, so later on that night, uh, we stopped at our hostel and as you may have experienced yourself, you know, backpackers tend to run into each other. <laughs> so uh, Snake Boy was actually staying at our hostel that night. Snake Boy. Small world. <laughs> Snake Boy. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, nope, I didn't see him. Nope, I am not aware. But anyways, he came up to me and he's like, hey, you know, why don't we go grab a beer? All right. Okay. So just to be a good sport, I, I went and I grabbed a beer with him. So we exchanged basic civilities such as what is your name and where do you come from? And then he popped the question. And the question was, are you a fan of the Lord of the Rings? And I was like, the Lord of the what? And <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> it's like... Uh, uh, out came the ale, so basically he spat out his beer. It must have fallen off his bar stool. I was like, "This guy's having a seizure. I don't know. Is he okay? <laughs> Someone call nine one one." You know. Uh, but it turns out basically that um, he was a huge fan, and um, he just he went on like an hour long monologue, you know, and he was just like <laughs> talking about these small people with furry feet uh, who had like some kind of like golden ring that they had to throw in a volcano and i'm just like "Uh uh-huh okay yeah you know and you know what it's an allegory for nuclear weapons you know and it's this and that and he's like going on and on and i'm like (laughs) i'm like this guy wants me to join a cult or something you know he was so into this it's quite the chat up line isn't it that's a nice. Yeah. That's, an, that's an interesting introduction. So, so where did you take that? Like, what? How did you dive into the to the Tolkien material? Was it movies first or books? What did you do for, with so, that uh, information? So, so I I ran out of that pub like faster than a bat out of hell. Basically, I was just like, okay, this guy's too weird, you know. But a couple <laughs> months later, um, I was going to the movie theater to watch the first Harry Potter, and and uh, that's where I saw it. I saw the poster for the Lord of the Rings. I saw Bilbo Baggins holding that ring, and you know, I was like this thing is real it's happening it's like 
okay, so I went inside and then I just fell in love, you know, so then I, I started reading all the books, I read the trilogy, then I read The Hobbit, then I read The Soul, I dove into the Unfinished Tales, you know, uh, I mean, this thing just became part of me, you know, at that point, I mean, I was like, uh, I remember like reading The Hobbit and just some scenes were so vivid that I, I just took my pen and paper and I just started drawing, you know, I, I enjoy drawing, I enjoy painting, you know. And uh, I think I might have shared a couple of those with you, James, in the past. Yes, <laughs> I remember. And, and that, that, that's what's about, I hear people talk about these books all the time, and that's what they say. That some, and some people don't, you know, uh, preface by saying, I, I enjoy, or I do paint, or I do write. But they'll say, like, I read this book, and I did paint, or I did write, or I did, you know, try poetry, because it's, it's inspiring stuff. I totally agree with you. It's, uh, yeah. it, oh, man, what a, what a beautiful um, thing to find in your adulthood. I, yeah. I, I don't envy that you didn't have it in your childhood, but I, I'm, like, I do wonder what that experience is like when I talk to people who uh, got into Lord of the Rings after the movies came out uh, as adults. I think that would be just totally different again, you know? So, May, I, I, May can, I yes, just, yes. can I just quickly ask? Um, so, did you see then, you saw The Fellowship yeah. as, your, as your entry point, then yes. went and read all the literature, and then by yeah. the time Two Towers came out, you were fully on board? Oh yeah. I so your so your your Gandalf then is your Gandalf heavily influenced by Ian McKellen because he was your entry point. Yes, for nice sure. I'm gonna say yeah. I mean, as I was reading the books, uh, I was picturing the actors right because that was my go-to reference point kind of thing. You know, a minus obviously the like characters that just never made it into the story. But I mean, um, you know, I mean, I. I find that Peter Jackson did such a, a a good job with with visuals and capturing like certain settings and whatnot, you know, that I I didn't have too much trouble conciliating both in my mind, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. He did, and I and for you, I imagine the like you say, the characters that weren't created were still heavily influenced by Jackson because any elf that you imagined anew would still look uh, like he fits in with the elves that you, that you did know. So, right. you know, Jackson's influence would definitely be a strong part of your imagination. And that's cool. Like, I, you, you sort of had something to base it on. Um, and what I like about uh, doing the movies first is when you read the books, I think you get to have, like, it, it's like getting the extended edition. It's like you get to have sort yes. of more yes. goodies and yes. treats of the, of the things you wanted. Um, yeah. So that, that must have been a fun way to do it. Because the reverse way is, like, you sort of, complain a little bit in your mind of the stuff they left out right when you read the books first and, and then watch the two three hour movie it's like oh it's yeah. too bad they didn't do i wish they yeah. would have had more of yeah but when you see yeah. the movie first and then read the books it's like oh all this extra greatness that i can fall in love yeah. with definitely yeah, definitely with that yeah and we james and awesome. we would have had the 1978 cartoon i mean that that was my visual impact to compliment the my books. Gandalf is heavily affected yeah. by that, more, much more so than, than uh, the movies. The, yeah, you know, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Actually, I, I remember, I remember going to my parents and actually, um, almost telling them off, like, guys. I mean, this stuff is like when you guys were growing up. Like, how come you never mentioned it? You know what I mean? Like, it, it was like, uh, I don't know. It was to that point. Like, it's like, how could you have not? exposed us to this you know as children you know like i <laughs> i remember i feel that way about golf i give my dad crap all the time because he didn't get me into golf until uh he never did i found it as an adult shame <laughs> on you dad shame 
Um, I'd like to, guys, we're not out of time by any stretch, but I want to make sure we cover most of these bullet points. So let me ask you um, if you could pick a part of that first chapter to talk about briefly as maybe your favorite or standout um, part. What, what is it you'd, you'd sort of circle in your mind as, as the most beautiful or moving or favorite part for you? And I'll, uh, I'll let you find your thoughts as I tell you about mine. I don't mind going first on this because for me it's easy. Um, and we touched on it a little bit, but I really enjoyed the idea that through Melkor trying to mess up with the music, all this extra uh, beautiful stuff was created. And the examples that he talks about, if, if you remember reading the passages, are ice and snow, um, thunderstorms, and, and the fall, you know, the music and harmony of, of falling rain, which uh, I, I just love um, those examples. Snowflakes are beautiful, falling rain is amazing. Thunderstorms, you know, he, the examples he picks are terrific. But more than that, I, I like the idea that for every action um, that Melkor uh, is able to improvise, there's an equal and opposite opposing action, right? An equal and opposite reaction. Uh, yeah. And the, as we were saying, like the, the music fits into sort of a scientific tone if you think music is math. I, I see that too as a sort of a, uh, you know, there's Einstein's applicability. Uh, yeah, that's Newton, smarty pants. Um, wrapped into the idea that everything Melkor does is countered by goodness that's enveloped uh, innately in the world. Uh, I don't know if I'm s speaking it properly or... or uh, expressing the idea as eloquently as a professor did, I'm certainly not, but I love the concept. And uh, I'm just going to read a little bit about it. It says, And Iluvatar spoke to Ulmo and said, Seest thou not how here, in this little realm, in the deeps of time, Melkor hath made war upon thy province? He hath bethought him of bitter cold immoderate, and yet hath not destroyed the beauty of thy fountains, nor of thy clear pools. Behold the snow and the cunning work of frost. Melkor hath devised heats and fire without restraint and hath not dried up thy desire nor utterly quelled the music of the sea. Behold rather the height and glory of the clouds and the ever-changing mists and listen to the fall of rain upon the earth. And in these clouds thou art drawn nearer to Manway, thy friend whom thou lovest. Love, 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 love that Elmo goes to, to Iluvatar and says, ah, he's messing with my stuff. <laughs> and Iluvatar says, no, 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 take, take a closer look. Everything he does is just added to the beauty um, of, of what we're all doing here. Yeah. And the more he disturbs, the closer he pushes you guys um, together. The closer he pushes you guys to work together and, the, and the, um, you know, the, the more he pushes, the harder you guys are pushing back. And I just love that nothing that Melkor can do um, seems to be able to undo the greater plan, even though I believe there's free will. I like that. I like those two opposing realities that can exist at the same time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, the, there's beauty in the original creation. And although Melkor does his damnedest to corrupt it with his actions, all he manages to do is to lead to the extremes. Um, and the extremes, yes. the extremes are still beautiful. Um, you know, they're, yes. not, they're not ugly, uh, for example, I mean, you guys know better than anyone, you know, the, the, the weather conditions over 
in your neck of the woods. Now, they're beautiful, but they're extreme. Um, Harsh, but yes. beautiful. And yeah, the, the added beauty that Melkor uh, keeps um, in, uh, inadvertently adding to the world it must really fire him up and, and, and annoy him. But, it, but it's, there's nothing he can do about it. He does no, not have enough to undo the, the theme entirely. There's nothing he can do that can undo the theme entirely, seemingly. No, no. It's pushing his buttons again, like you said earlier on. Um, and it's, it's deliberate from Iluvatar to, to turn something that, that uh, is, is beautiful into something that is more beautiful. Yeah, before I pass it on to your favorite part, I'm just going to read one, one other uh, little excerpt here. It says... And thou, Melkor, shalt see that no theme may be played that hath not its uttermost source in me, nor can any alter the music in my despite. For he that attempteth this shall prove but mine instrument in the devising of things more wonderful, which he himself had not imagined. I mean, that sums up what I tripped over for, you know, 40 sentences there. But it, 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 I love that concept, and I, that is my favorite part of the first chapter. So now we've, we know what mine is. May, me, me, what me, is me, your favorite me. part? Oh. You want to go first? Take it. Adam, take it. Yeah, let me, let me go. Let me go. Um, so I love that right at the start, you have this, this theme of isolation, um, uh, that there is, there is a separation. It's established immediately straight away in those first few pages and again it foreshadows what's going to come in in the rest of the book and and like what may was saying earlier on um the most interesting person in that chapter in my view is melkor because he's Agreed. he, he yes. is yes. he's the bad he's the bad boy he's the one that that even though <laughs> even though um uh, even though he is so obviously bad he's the one that is most interesting um, no doubt manway sounds boring man yeah like, I, I, I like him and i like what he like i'm glad he's there to take care of business and and, and what comes up in some chapters to come but he said i'd much rather like i want to hear watch about Melkor. yeah yeah come on i, I want to see what he's interested. doing definitely so no doubt you know that's established straight away um he's also Melkor's the first of of the Ainur to be mentioned so it just Tolkien alone has singled him out as, as this named individual in contrast to the collective remaining Ainur. So it is yes. established right at the start. It's Melkor versus these guys. And these guys yep. then and, have their and, names brought in. But, but it is very And it says also it, of him that he's the Melkor. most powerful, right? Yeah, it does, it's, definitely. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so, and um, then there's this, there's, this great, there's this great paragraph, uh, page four of the Silmarillion. And it says, um, talking, about, talking about the theme, as the theme progressed, it came into the heart of Melkor to interweave matters of his own imagining that were not in accord with the theme of Iluvatar. For he sought therein to increase the power and glory of the part assigned to himself. To Melkor, among the Ainur, had been given the greatest gifts of power and knowledge, and he had a share in all the gifts of his brethren. So, you know, he, he's, he's the most powerful, he's the most knowledgeable, but he's also had a share in the gifts of the others. He had gone often alone into the void, play, into the, sorry, he had gone often alone into the void places seeking the imperishable flame. 
for desire grew hot within him to bring into being things of his own. And it seemed to him that Iluvatar took no thought for the void, and he was impatient of its emptiness. Yet he found not the fire, for it is with Iluvatar. But being alone, he had begun to conceive thoughts of his own, unlike those of his brethren. And I think that is just fantastic, because he, he isolates himself in the music of creation later on. And I would say that that's a direct link to what we discover there, that he's been wandering alone in the void in search of this imperishable flame. He wants to be able to create his impatience um, stems from that isolation. You know, there's a burning desire to to fill that void. Uh, He's almost annoyed that it is still a void, that Iluvatar doesn't seem too too bothered about it. Um, You know what his, his report card would say, Ads? What? It would say... Melkor has high aptitude, but does not play well with others. Yeah, he would. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, it's, it and you're the, right. That, he developed that in the void. While everyone else was learning to sing and make harmonies and playing together, he did not pick up those social skills. That is a great observation, Heads. Yeah, it does, because he's, you know, he's, he's, he's enforced himself this self-inflicted sort of separation. And as a result of that, he's able to conceive thoughts of his own that are unlike the collective you know unlike his his brothers and sisters uh so to speak and he gets to then put that into action when he creates the music in discord to the group symphony and in effect he wants to sing a solo and i would go as far as to say he wants to be a louvatar yes i I, agree i can't argue with that yeah agree 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 yeah uh May, did you want to uh, add anything to what Ad said or defend Melkor in any way? <laughs> defend Melkor? Uh, well, because no, I, I... I know the idea that, that him spending time in the void and spending time alone um, was something that, that uh, was part of the book that we talked about a little bit off air. And you said, uh, I, I find it interesting that, that um, Tolkien sees that as a bad thing, or at least for Melkor it was a bad thing. Uh, isolation and it, it, he, not every yeah. philosopher sees it that way right right well i mean in tolkien's work i think uh, the theme of isolation is never uh is never a good thing you know so uh think about for example the dragon illness you know um think about mm. uh what happens to thorin when uh, he he goes back under the mountain you know so it, when you go into this kind of hermit mode when you kind of separate yourself from your community bad things happen Gollum. so yes Gollum yeah, yes yeah. very powerful so so that's Tolkien's take on on um, on being isolated but um, you know some other people might praise uh, isolation as a, a way to uh, seek wisdom or to grow independent from let's say like um, from the masses around you so I I think we talked about Nietzsche you know so you did mention Nietzsche yes yeah so Nietzsche kind of praises the black sheep in the sense that you know yeah you're gonna be the only one going against the current but you know you might be more enlightened because you do so you know what I mean so Mm -hmm. instead of just like I think it was worth bringing up yeah so 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 I mean you know um, I think a lot of teenagers can can relate to, to that, uh, to what Nietzsche says, you know, maybe it brings them comfort. I know it brought me comfort when I was a teenager because I, I felt like a, an outlier, perhaps, or maybe I was, uh, I felt like a, an outcast is a better word. And, uh, and for me, I, I found comfort in knowing that, you know, you're not so weird if you're not following, like, 
you know, the group or if you're not like, you know, just, you know, wearing the clothes and listening to the music and whatnot, you know, if you're your own person, it's not like a negative thing, you know. So that being said, though, okay. I mean, we're, I'm not I'm not there to justify what Melkor is going to end up doing. <laughs> Uh, no, that would be future. difficult. No, no, but he, but he's he's an extremely interesting character right at the beginning because of the fact he's automatically isolated by Tolkien's writing and by what he does. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. No, I can't argue with that. And yeah, yeah no, mate, there are different ways to look at isolation. I don't think it was just the isolation that turns Melkor into um, Morgoth. I think. Right. Uh, I, I think there's a lot more to it, and just innately, he was going to do a lot of the things he ends up doing because of who he is. But it is it is worth pointing out that he was the only one who spent significant time in the void, um, uh, voids of space. And uh, ads, I, I think we're we're getting to the end of your favorite part. Anything you want to top it off with before I head over to May? Well, I just I just had a thought there that I wouldn't mind asking May. Um, and feel free to cut this out, James, if need be. Uh, yeah, ads. We had to cut that out. Sorry, buddy. Um, so, James, yeah, the other thing I was going to say was that uh, good old Melky, um, he was a bit of a jilted, a jilted, uh, well, lover's probably the wrong word, but he did come out second best to Manway uh, with regards to Varda, didn't he? So that was another thing that's, that's right at the start maybe shaped his his viewpoint there's jealousy is uh, there as well uh, i think he's innately jealous but you're right there's also uh that um the fact that sort of his uh, advances on varda were turned down making him uh, feel ashamed and then you know growing extra hate in him if he didn't already have enough yeah no that's worth pointing yeah. out for sure yeah may you got to talk about your favorite part before we uh before we sign off here which we are getting close to so okay. what part would you like to sort of point out as maybe uh, the most impactful or favorite? Um, maybe not most impactful or favorite, but I'll say something that's worth no uh, note noteworthy because um, I think it's still uh, relevant, actually more than ever, to our modern world. And uh, we're talking about uh, the importance the importance of water uh, in uh, in uh, in the legendarium. So um, there's a little excerpt here which I'm going to read briefly. And they observed the winds and the air and the matters of which Arda was made of iron and stone and silver and gold and many substances. But all of the, but, uh, uh, excuse me, but of all these water, they most greatly praised. And it is said that the elder, that in the water there lived, or there lives rather, the echo of the music of the Ainur more than any substance else uh, that is in the earth. So, um, music of the Ainur uh, surviving in water, that's an interesting concept. And um, Yes, I love I, that. I love that you drew that out. Um, when we put it in the show notes, I thought, yeah, this is something that I'm sure other people have thought of, but I hadn't before. And roll with that idea. How is how's that music of creation, um, you know, being strongest in water? How did, how did you interpret that? So... Yeah. The way I that my take on it is that um, water is basically life. So uh, 
water has many symbolisms, but uh, if we just look at the science of it, you know, um, earth is covered with water. Without water, there is no life. So that's one way of looking at it. Another way would be a parallel between water and the womb. So, uh, so the same way that we humans are born in water, or we are made in water, uh, then um, the theme of Iluvatar's creation is also uh, also remains in water on Arda. So that that was interesting to me to see that that little tiny bit of uh, of detail, that little tiny detail, was was you know was lovely in a way that you know we can totally relate to this in. In, in our lives, you know, and, um, and yes, also, 100%. Uh, that's that, a great point. Um, uh, the Valar Ulmo basically is the, the god of water, let's call him this way, you know, and he was the most instructed in music. And, and for me, it's not a coincidence if Ulmo is the god of water and he's the most instructed in music that the dregs of the song of creation should still be heard in, in water. For me, I, I just think it's it's a beautiful circle. You know what I mean? So, and it's, again, Tolkien is, is, is uh, consistent. He's... Uh, and, yeah, it's, and there's so much, so many parallels, like the fluidity of water and the fluidity of music. There's just, there's so much to wrap up in those two concepts that are, that are poetic and, and, and fun to, to talk about and think about. Ads, any, any part of that that you want to jump in on? Yeah, I was just going to say that I agree completely with what Maze just said. I think it's beautiful the fact that she's she's you know referenced it to to the womb because I've never thought of it like that before. But you know, it, it is a very very good way of looking at it. You know, ads. You well, and I, I have to get add... more in touch with our wombs. I think. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> we do. Um, what I would add though is that in the actual chapter itself, um, Ulmo is mentioned before Manwe. Yes, he's the first of the good guys, if you want to look at it yeah. that way. That's true. But, you know, he's not, he's not the king, but he's arguably the most important in the eyes of Iluvatar. And maybe um, the most instrumental in the stories. Indeed, yeah. So I thought that was quite, a, quite an interesting point, that, you know, Olmo comes, comes out before Manwe is mentioned, um, even though, you know, he's not the king. Yeah, no, that, that's worth mentioning. And also, uh, I, I, a little piece that sort of stuck with me when it said that the music of the uh, Ainur could still be heard in the water. For some reason, I, I, that I always associated that also with like the, the call of the sea that people who live near the ocean talk about. There's like, um, it's supposed to, you know, call to you and the siren song and all that. I, for me, there was an attachment. I, ma I made a personal association there with, through, through applicability, I guess, and, and uh, how that read in my ears. But um, the idea of, you know, you put a seashell to your ear uh, and you can hear yeah, the ocean. Yeah. For me, that, that all sort of tied together when I read that part about the music of the Ainurs to be, being in water um, the most. Definitely. Guys, I can't, I can't believe it, but uh, we're almost right on schedule and we've covered most of the bullet points. There's a st still a few things, however, um, we've got to mention, but that was really fun and I hope you guys had... Uh, as much fun talking about it as, as I did. Yeah, totally. It was so good to just the three of us have a chat, and it's great having my on board. Yeah, I knew, so much, I, guys. Oh, it's, I knew it would be. I knew right away when we added her, she would, she would add, do nothing but, uh, but add to the show in more ways than one. And you did that, May. Um, thank you so much for joining us, and I hope we can convince you to come back on week after week. 
<laughs> you guys, I'm blushing. Stop it. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. You guys are amazing. I, I, I kept on saying it. You guys have amazing chemistry together, you know, and it's like it's such a privilege to be able to join in, you know. So thank you so much for having me, guys. That was lots of fun. Um, before we do yeah, the official uh, send-offs, there's a few things we've got to mention. Um, first and foremost, uh, on the outro stuff, I'm just going to say Harry Merle's name right off the bat because I don't want to forget. It is too important. Uh, when you hear that beautiful song start up, if it's not playing already, know that you can find that and more of Harry's stuff over on YouTube at Harry Merle. So please check him out. Uh, I'm also going to do a quick shout-out to a few people. Uh, including the Tumbling Saber podcast. Please, Star Wars fans, go check out Corey and Kyle and myself um, on the Star Wars Commonwealth, excuse me, Star Wars Commonwealth Network uh, and check out the Tumbling Saber podcast and all the other terrific podcasts over there. Um, I know I'm going to let you guys do some plugging as well. Before I I, uh, pass off the mic, I'm going to do two more. I'm going to plug Matt Keegan and his excellent novel, Hindsight, If you guys haven't heard us say it yet, run to the bookstore and buy that. Uh, You guys are going to love this time travel story. So please check out Hindsight by Matt Keegan. Ads, who do you want to talk about? Well, I've kind of mentioned all the ones I wanted to from Twitter and Facebook, but what I think would be really helpful for people if they want another way of of sort of taking in this chapter is to go to um, www.evanparmacomics.com because uh, I found this on, on the internet and it is a visual representation of the Ainu Lindelay. It's really good. And it's just really, in, yeah, it's really interesting to see it in a visual form. And I think, I think it does help. You know, it helps to sort of formulate, formulate the, the chapter in your mind a little bit better. Well, let's ask Carlos Candido because I had lunch with him this week and he's diving into the sill as his first uh, endeavor. So I think if someone's going to appreciate that comic, it will be him. So Carlos will let us know. And um, we do want to plug ourselves. Uh, before we do that, uh, our Twitter handles, I should mention that May has an excellent vlog. Uh, May, how can we find you and the stuff you're putting out there that's not this podcast? Um, so I'm on Twitter at Hella. I'm on Facebook at Make Hella. I'm on Instagram <laughs> and I'm on YouTube as well. Um, the YouTube channel, Everything. yes, I'm pretty much I'm invading <laughs> your feeds. Um, <laughs> um, on YouTube, uh, let me see here. Um, sorry, guys. That's all right. No problem. I just want to make sure. That I just means you don't channel. talk about yourself very much. I don't. I don't. I usually am pretty uncomfortable talking about myself. Um, hmm. So, yeah, on YouTube, you can find me at May K. Hella. So that's May, M-A-Y-K, period, Hella, H-E-L-L-A. Um, I'll, I, I will be putting up some vlogs, uh, some trailers basically associated to our podcast. So uh, be sure to tune in and check them out. Let me know what you think. Uh, comment, leave a thumbs up or, uh, you know, let me know uh, if it's your cup of tea or not. And that's it for me. Yeah. Uh, ads, you want to assign some homework, please? Okay, yeah, no problem, James. So the homework for this week will be to read chapter two of the Silmarillion, which is called Valaquenta. It's not too taxing, it's only about nine pages long, but 
that is what we will be discussing on the next show. Uh, the other thing I would say, uh, which for certain people it's going to really help them to get an, a better understanding of the concept of uh, the Aina Lindeley, is log on to www.evanpalmercomics.com and you'll get a fantastic visual representation uh, of, of that chapter that we've just discussed of the Aina Lindeley. Uh, it certainly helped me. So read chapter two, the Valaquenta, and if you want that little bit extra, uh, perhaps check out check out Evan Palmer. Okay. Thanks, Ads. Do you want to give people uh, some information on how to find you? Yeah, so uh, I'm on Twitter mostly uh, at Ad Seven, so capital A D S capital S E V E N. Um, we've also obviously got the Facebook facebook um group as well um yep so at, check us out in there uh the green door at the green door pod and, um, at the green door pod pod uh if you search the green door podcast we'll pop up as well right yeah we will but um twitter's twitter's uh, a good way to find me excellent ads i want to plug myself at tommy bombadil one the podcast at the green door pod all one word please come and follow us along we've had uh, good interactions and we love when people chime in and give us their opinion i'm looking at you caitlin and eagles of manway and uh, matt and all of, all of the others that were mentioned earlier i will thank you two once again for joining me tonight and then i'm gonna say till next time good night everybody good night night